we haven't seen an indictment. We haven't seen charges. We haven't seen evidence. What if District Attorney yeah. Bragg comes forward with an indictment, it, with evidence, and proof that Donald Trump did commit these crimes? You, you still think he shouldn't be charged? Well, we believe that he should come explain to us exactly what he's investigating. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Unplugged. Welcome to episode 23 of The Middle Unplugged, a break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right and try to carve out some time for a less shrill, less extreme, and generally less angry conversation. So it's been an excellent week here. Our sister podcast, brother podcast, The Middle, which is our radio show that we do on the weekend at its one-year anniversary, is really exciting for me. A lot of folks took note of it, and particularly one particular listener called in. My son Jordan called in to say congratulations, and naturally that became what people hooked onto on social media and calling me on the phone and saying, you got to have that kid back. And sure enough, here we are recording my podcast. I'm heading out the door, and Jordan, who's on spring break, says, Dad, you want me to come and be on the show? So maybe that'll be in the future. He's not going to be on today, but that was fun. So in the news of the week, well, Donald Trump will be indicted soon or he won't be indicted soon. He he paid a hush fund payment to a porn star before the 2016 election by directing his lawyer to pay the woman and then reimbursed him and then recorded his legal fees in an effort to cover up another crime and thus not reporting the payment as a campaign expenditure. Or he didn't. I'll be honest with you, I don't really care. If it happens, it happens. I trust the legal system will sort this out. Is it political because the elected Democratic prosecutor is bringing the charge? Yeah, I imagine implicit in anything that an elected district attorney does will have some elements of political implication. Is it fair that a rich guy like Donald Trump will have a better chance of beating the charge or bludgeoning the prosecutor out of bringing it than just about any other type of defendant who appears in these criminal cases who are usually pretty poor and pretty powerless? Yeah, I guess that's true, too. I mean, someone can argue about this. You can argue about this all you want. And, but sort of what I want to look at today is absent, you know, a trial. There might be a trial. We'll get a chance to see. We'll see what the evidence is. We'll see what the case is. But this is sort of what I want to look at today. You know, how the others have reacted to this so-called news. I mean, first, the media. What is the news that actually has happened all around this? Trump said he was going to be indicted on a certain day. Indications had already been out there that Something was coming soon, and that was already public. You know, they had called Trump to appear before the grand jury, which is, from my understanding, the last step to give them an opportunity to respond, or the grand jury wanted to hear from him. So we already kind of knew that. Within hours of, the, of Trump tweeting about this, his own lawyer said it was based on no knowledge, basically that it wasn't a thing. It was just something he blurted out. And you would think that that would kind of stop the story. But instead, the press put kind of the full megaphone on Trump's speculation. And even after Tuesday, the day that Trump said it would happen, the day that Tuesday came and went and proved that the tweet was either wrong or a complete troll, the media didn't let up a bit. It's kind of like having someone outside your house wearing a sandwich board saying the end is coming tomorrow and it doesn't come and we still act like <laughs> the end is coming. I mean... You know, I guess I make a slight distinction between what goes on here in commentary media and the so-called news guys. Arguing about Trump is fine by me. In fact, 
you remember when I first started doing my radio show, when I first started doing the podcast, I kind of avoided Trump. That was the advice I got. Stay away because it's just too toxic. People were too crazy. And the idea that he was a former president, now that he's a nominee, arguing about Trump, that's that's fine. I don't mind doing it. But for the folks who are supposed to be telling us what is happening in the world, the simple answer is a grand jury is meeting. It has been meeting and is continuing to meet. Nothing else has happened. No news has been created. Watching who walked into the secret grand jury and who walked out, I know it doesn't count as news to me. Now, is it fair and appropriate to let folks know that a candidate for president called an African-American prosecutor an animal or that he threatened death and destruction if he was arrested? Yeah, that's fair. Or, you know, if you want to say something like, you know, when The Guardian, The Guardian newspaper, described his comments as unusually dehumanizing, menacing, and dangerous. All right, if you want to, like, characterize the things that he's saying, that reporting of kind of the elements like that, okay, that kind of is news. But most of the coverage of this, you know, indictment arrest that might happen is an extension of what is basically horse race questions. Who benefits? How will this be portrayed? What are the optics of the arrest? You know, will he perp walk and things like that? You know, people are saying, oh, it's dumb for you Democrats to be doing this. Or what is DeSantis going to do in reaction to all this? And then he goes and has a rally, which kind of makes you think, by the way, that he put all this stuff out there just to promote interest in his rally, since that is like so much about how he thinks about the world, is how how his rallies are going. On the way back from his rally, he regaled reporters with his next troll, which is that the DA had decided not to indict him. And then it seems like almost later in the exact same conversation, I'm not sure the exact TikTok, he landed on his final pronouncement that he did not know. Yeah, he okay. So basically he had all three positions laid out and yet all of this was treated breathlessly in some version of news with people coming, what does it mean and everything else. You know, it does remind me a little bit of the lunacy of the 2016 election when every Trump rally was treated with beginning and end coverage even like a sporting event. They'd go to the pregame and kind of interview people in the crowd and then afterwards get the reaction. Jay Rosen, who's a media professor at NYU, and I follow him on Twitter, he suggests that rather than let Trump be the assignment editor for basically every media outlet and running after every tweet, that they focus on what he calls not the odds, but the stakes. And so how would this look? You know, when Trump did his rally in Waco last week, Much of the coverage was through the lens of this non-event arrest that hadn't happened yet. You know, he was defiant. He showed false bravado. But you know what wasn't covered was some of the stuff that he said in the speech that might be regarded as something that he would do if elected again, which is clearly what the way you cover a political figure. What is at stake if this guy gets elected, then what? He said during that speech that, he would initiate the largest mass deportation in history. That got reported almost nowhere. He also mentioned that he was going to return to this creation of the Schedule F, which is this executive order that he did near the end of this term, which would allow them to remove all these protections from tens of thousands of career bureaucrats, making them easier to dismiss and replace with partisan folks, ideological folks. So, you know, the stakes if he wins is what kind of what the argument is, not just the odds in the horse race. 
And clearly the media showed that they haven't learned a great deal from 2016. But it wasn't just the media that didn't cover themselves in glory this week. Maybe we should expect no difference. But have you heard of Jim Jordan? He's the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. Actually, it's not just him. He rounded up the other members of, what are you going to call them, the GOP Justice League, this guy James Comer, who's the chairman of the Oversight Committee. And for some reason, they brought in this dude called Brian Steele, who's the chairman of the House Administration Committee. The House Administration does nothing legislatively, nothing. They do things like, you know, decide who's going to get the contract to sell fries in the Longworth cafeteria and what kind of software they're going to buy for offices, stuff like that. But anyway, so these three legal giants decided to jump in to defend Donald Trump. And they wrote this this letter, you know, how would I, you know, let me just, the first sentence kind of tells you a little bit about where they're coming from. You are reportedly about to engage <laughs> in an unprecedented abuse of prosecutor authority. They did not wait for any actual, there is like doing what the media did. They're not at waiting for anything actual to happen. You are now, you are, this is the first sentence, you are reportedly about to engage in an unprecedented abuse of authority. The indictment of former president, current declared candidate for office, Donald Trump. So right away, the foundation for their letter is something that hasn't happened yet. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event. So give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. And as we jump down a little bit, now in the words of one legal scholar, you are attempting to quote shoehorn, close quote, the same case with identical facts into a new prosecution, resurrecting a so-called zombie case against President Trump. Now I happen to, it's footnoted, so I was curious. So who is this? legal scholar. It's this guy, Jonathan Turley. And they're quoting from an article that he wrote. Let's see if this sounds like a legal, like a like someone doing sober legal analysis. This is the headline of the story. Get ready for Manhattan DA's made-for-TV Trump prosecution, high on ratings but short on the law. So that's who they're quoting as their resources. By the way, I'm going to talk, you know, taking the same the identical facts, what they're doing is they're saying this hasn't been prosecuted federally before. Just continue. I'm not going to read the whole letter, obviously. The legal theory underlying your reported prosecution appears to be tenuous and untested. And they quote that, again, from this guy, Turley. They should have, they should have just submitted Turley's letter. In addition to the novel and untested legal theory, your star witness for this prosecution has serious credibility problems, a problem that you have reportedly recognized. Yeah, you know what they're talking about? They're talking about Michael Cohn. He's a liar. He's an admitted liar. He's their witness. Yeah, totally. And there's no one disputing that the guy went to prison in part for lying. And just to continue, like, here, let me just read you one little other part. Just to get the vibe. These are members of Congress writing. And your decision to pursue such a politically motivated prosecution while adopting progressive criminal justice policies allow career criminals to run the streets of Manhattan requires congressional scrutiny. Now, here's the interesting part. So you wonder, like, what are they asking for? These are congressmen. What is the purpose of this letter? They want to require scrutiny about how public safety funds appropriated by Congress are implementing local law enforcement policies and to inform potential legislative form reforms about the delineation of prosecutorial authority. Long story short, they write this letter 
the members of the United States Congress write this letter and they say to a local prosecutor, first, here's all the rhetoric. Give us all the facts you have, every file that you have and everything else. It wasn't a subpoena. It was a request for separation. And Bragg, who's the district attorney in Manhattan, responds fairly succinctly. He says, and I'm going to read from his response, Congress is not the appropriate branch to review pending criminal matters. As the Supreme Court noted in Watkins, Congress, quoting the Supreme Court, Congress is not a law enforcement or trial agency. These are function of the executive and judicial departments of government. The power, continuing the power of Congress to investigate, it must not be confused with any of the powers of law enforcement. These powers are assigned under our Constitution to the executive and the judiciary. And just to kind of be clear, you know, Congress is not a prosecutor supervisor. In our system of separation of powers, you know, the prosecuting rests with the executive branch. And there's a reason why we've had this tradition, the executive branch, like the president and the, the you know, staying clear of these decisions, because the represent the politicizing these prosecutions would basically turn the prosecutors into lackeys for whoever's in charge. And so we've fought for for the in the history of our country to preserve that. And there's one other thing to keep in mind about the relationship of the legislative branch to this. The legislative branch represents the majority, right? Those people won. They got a majority. The judiciary represents the balance of interest that includes the tiniest of minorities, one individual person. The judicial branch has to protect their individual rights. It's two completely different instincts. So Bragg brushed them back, but he did, to his credit, he left open the idea if they were pursuing a legitimate legislative purpose, he would consider helping. And he didn't, you know, look, Bragg didn't engage on the substance since there's really nothing to engage on yet, but I just a little bit of context about what the Jordan Cruz talking points are. You know, this notion that the Manhattan criminal case is a case of selective prosecution, in other words, going after the president because he's a political enemy, that no one else would be charged with, is really not true. You know, first thing to point out is this Michael Cohen, who I mentioned, he was instrumental in this whole scheme. He's already pleaded guilty and gone to prison for this. And federal prosecutors told the court that Cohen, quote, acted in coordination to the direction of Mr. Trump. So a subordinate has already gone to prison for this, but the principal should be immune from prosecution? I don't understand that theory. And also this idea that because the federal government hadn't brought this charge that Bragg doesn't have anything to rest on. Look, the reason that the federal government didn't bring any action against Trump is because Bill Barr was in charge and he was a, he completely corrupted the Justice Department and said, I'm not going to investigate anything else to do Trump. Now, why there hasn't been an investigation of the Cohen campaign finance, Stormy Daniel things under Merrick Garland, that's a tougher question. And I think that's a reasonable question. But then there's this question, oh, you know, your Bragg can't bring a, a federal campaign finance charge to which Cohen already pleaded guilty. That's right. But he still has plenty of options. The New York District Attorney charges people with filing false business records all the time as felonies, as misdemeanors. You know, and if this crime was done with the intent of covering up another crime, meaning not reporting all this money that you sent to Stormy Daniels, then that's a crime. And remember something else about this. You know, this kind of filing false business records and giving Cohen money and saying, well, I'm going to give you extra money because it's going to be, you're going to have to pay taxes on this money and all these different things. It's all these ways that they tried to get around the law. The district attorney charges people with false business filings all the time. You know, they charge the teacher for filing a fake COVID-19 vaccination card. An auto repair store owner was 
was, you know, filed improper tax returns and cooked his books to do it. You know, they even had one they had in the Times the other day that someone got a, a fraudulent store credit at Lord and Taylor and then used the credit to purchase items before she even left the store. They were all charged. So this gets charged all the time. So Jim Jordan, after getting this response, basically a brushback from Bragg, he responds by saying, well, we also have the right here in Congress to come up with legislation. And so we're doing a hearing to come up with legislation. So what the legislation would be, he says, well, he wants to, he's proposing, or I don't know if he means this, that he would say that no one can be prosecuted as a, by a local prosecutor if they were a president or a candidate for president. Now, I don't know exactly how that would work, but it does give me a really great idea for one guy. I hear that Hunter Biden just announced that he's running for president. And we'll be right back with Listener Mail. Welcome back. We'd like to do a couple of things here on the podcast. We do a number of the week, and we also do Listener Mail. Let's do the numbers of the week, and they're related to the mail. 89. This week in Asheville, the 89th shooting on school grounds of the year. And for context, this is the 88th day of the year today. Nine, that was the age of Evelyn Dickenhouse. Nine, that was the age of William Kinney. Nine, that was the age of Haley Shrugs. In addition to those three children, Mike Hill, Cynthia Peak, a substitute teacher, Mike Hill was a school custodian, and Catherine Kuntz, the head of school, all perished, the six victims of the latest mass shooting. And this brings us to the question of the day. It comes in the form of a comment from a really smart person on Fox News. We need to remember, you know, the, the side door. I'm not trying to point fingers. I don't know the exact facts at this moment, but from what I understand, a side door was unlocked. That seems to be a common pattern in many of these shootings, a side mm -hmm. door. If we can lock the side doors and make sure that the schools are secure, hopefully we can avoid these tragedies going forward. So there you go. I mean, look, I don't know how to put this. I mean, all developed countries have video games. All developed countries have single moms. All developed countries have Ritalin. They have cases of gender dysphoria. I mean, we're different. We're the only one that has such easy access to guns. And in particular, the kind of guns that seem to get used in mass shootings. So now I guess we can add open door control to one of the other explanations. You know, sometimes we do things in Congress and we let them sunset. Part of the reason we let them sunset is that, well, we couldn't get agreement to make it permanent. Sometimes the reason you let them sunset is so that we can get some information about how some program works. We had an assault weapons ban from 1994 to 2004 in this country that prohibited the manufacture or sale of semi-automatic weapons and magazines with more than 10 rounds. Mass shootings declined during that decade. That's it. So, by the way, about the so-called open door explanation. Do we know yet if the side door she entered in was locked or not? That's, that's, that was a door that was entered. Uh, all doors were locked, uh, to our understanding. 
and how exactly she got in at this point, but still under investigation. So much for the open door excuse. God bless the people of Nashville, and thank you so much for joining us. And this is the end of The Middle Unplugged.